Hey, good morning. How's everyone doing? All right. Did uh, did everyone enjoy your your two weeks of snow we had there? That's it. Don't worry. It, it's it's Tennessee. We're back in summer for a few minutes, and then uh, winter will be back in a couple days. Don't worry. Okay. It's Tennessee. We're going to experience all four seasons in a week. It's fine. All right. Uh, if you're new to Tennessee, welcome. This is normal. Okay. Just so you know. Uh, this is not like Jesus coming back right now. This is just how the weather is here, okay? Uh, hey, welcome, guys. If you've not yet met me, my name is Jeff. Uh, my beautiful wife and I, we are the youth pastors here at Grace. And I also get the privilege of serving on this teaching team where I get to bring a message about once a month. And today, I'm up. We'll be in the book of First Kings. Uh, so if you have a Bible with you or your Bible journal, um, go ahead. We're going to be in chapter 14 today. Um, I can't tell you how excited I am. Uh, to be in the book of Kings, uh, maybe it's just me, maybe I'm just like a history nerd, uh, but it's really cool to, to study through Kings and, and watch as the mantle is passed, uh, and you actually get to see the full like history of Israel and what all happened um, take place right before your eyes. Uh, it, it's amazing. It's such a good study. There's a lot for us to learn. I believe that every word of scripture is inspired by God, and so there's something for us to take away. Uh, there's something for uh, to affect us personally. And so I think that's why it's so important to, to be in the Word of God. Um, before we dive in today, I have a praise report, um, which I think, by the way, as Christians, we should spend a little more time doing. We should spend a little more time praising God, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes our, our, our prayers sound more like a wish list than a praise report. But in reality, I think we need to take that time to remember what God has done and what God is doing, right? Um, so uh, about a month ago, maybe a little longer, I'm not great with time. Uh, Y'all figured that out. Uh, But at some point in the recent past, um, Pastor Dennis had a um, carbon monoxide scare at at his house. Uh, They were asleep, and uh, their detectors start blaring, just screaming, you know, leave the house. And so they do so, and they end up having uh, having some issues. Um, And he came back, and he was telling uh, us about it. And uh, so Jessica and I have lived in the same house, what, 13 years? Yeah, that sounds like a number. Um, so we've lived in the same house about 13 years, and honestly, the thought has never once crossed our mind if we have a carbon monoxide detectors, <laughs> because we got the house at 19, and we knew absolutely nothing. And uh, so we go home from this conversation, and my wife, who isn't the rational one of the two of us, I am the hopeless optimist, um, and she is the rational one. She's like, do we have those? And I'm like, I, yeah, I'm sure we do. It's a house. Houses have those. That would make sense, Right. Um, and so I go and I check everything and I test and no, in fact, we do not have carbon monoxide detectors. And so my wife, who is uh, the rational one again, she quickly hops on Amazon, orders us some, they come in and I'm like, all right, seems like a waste of money. We've been fine 13 years, whatever. Uh, because again, hopeless optimist, and that's not always the greatest uh, attribute either. Uh, but I throw the batteries in, I set them up in the house like I'm supposed to. And to be honest, I completely forget about them, right? So that's fast forward to this week. Um, this week, we, uh, we got hit with a nasty stomach bug. Uh, it's, it's made its ways around. Uh, if you haven't experienced it yet, I'm sorry. Uh, you're going to, most likely. Um, and it, we, our household just got hit with this nasty, nasty stomach bug. Um, and Sunday night, uh, Sunday night, it, or Sunday, Sunday day, it hit Shep, which he's our little three-year-old. And he just, it hit him brutally. 
And Jessica spent almost all day with him, uh, taking care of him, cleaning up after him. Uh, and so Sunday night, I, I said, you know what, I'll take him. Me and Shep, we'll sleep in here on the couch because uh, he's not getting any sleep. And so I'll, I'll hang out with him. We'll just not sleep together. And uh, you guys go get some rest. And so she does so, and I keep Shep in on, on the couch. And somewhere around 3, 4 a.m., he finally falls asleep. Uh, and so I lay down with him. Um, and we're just sleeping on the couch, and I, it couldn't be two hours later, three hours later. I hear this blaring alarm going off in my house. Now, three hours sleep, Jeff, was just looking for what he needed to smash to make it stop. <laughs> because I was ready to go back to sleep. <laughs> what I found is as I walked through our house is that it was our carbon monoxide detector. And again, hopeless optimist Jeff doesn't go, we have a gas leak. He goes... This piece of junk is broken. <laughs> However, my wife, the rational one, once again, is like, no, we need to get out of the house and do something. I'm like, I want to go back to sleep. Can we do that? <laughs> we'll worry about it in the morning. Now, if you're not, yeah, if you're not familiar with a carbon dioxide uh, leak or gas leak, uh, it's known as the silent killer. I didn't know this. Uh, what will happen is you'll have a leak and you'll never know. There's nothing really recognizable about it. It doesn't have a smell. It doesn't have a taste. It's literally you will, you'll have a leak in your house, you'll go to sleep, and you'll never wake up. That's, it's called the silent killer. And I, I didn't know that. So going back to sleep was not an option, unfortunately. And so uh, we go out to the car. We call the fire department, and they come. And we do, in fact, have a gas leak. And uh, what I want to say for a moment as we think about that is like, on one hand, there's a lot of people that would say, wow, you got really lucky. You see, but, but I don't believe in luck. I believe in a divine creator, a, a God who loves his children, who saves his children, and stepped into our lives that day, right? And, and I think it's incredible that just a month earlier, we didn't have these in our house. But God put the thought, maybe, maybe God made Pastor Dennis's Blair so that we would get smart for a moment. I'm taking credit for her, all right? Maybe, maybe God did that so that we would have this and we would be protected at that moment. Something else that I noticed too, though, is that when the gas company came, they went and they did readings all throughout the house. And you remember how Shep was sick and he was in there on the, uh, on the couch with me? They found the highest readings were actually in his bedroom. And so had he not been sick that night, he would have been in the room with the highest readings. And so what I want to think for maybe a moment, because I'm sure, I can assure you right now, Shep did not want to encounter that sickness. We didn't want to fight that battle. And we may often look at these battles, and we may look at these symptoms, like the sickness and these trials, and we may look at the difficulties in life and question and think, God, why am I experiencing this? God, why am I going through this? All the while not seeing what God is saving us from, right? God used a sickness to take my three-year-old son out of his bedroom that night. And most likely saved his life. That is divine intervention at its finest. And what we need to do is we need to make sure that we recognize these moments when God shows up. Let's not, let's not, let's not deny God the glory and say that I got lucky. Let's not say that it was a coincidence. Let's say that there is a good God who says in Romans 8, 28, that he works all things together for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. There is a good God in heaven, and he takes care of his children. And guess what, guys? Something I've noticed has been kind of a hard pill to swallow, but sometimes the way that he takes care of you is painful. Right? Shep was sick, but that was how he took care of him. Right? 
But what we need to do is we need to make sure that we are praising and honoring and glorifying and, and, and recognizing the times in our life that God is taking care of us. Because I realize that our good times can very much be erased by our bad times. Right? We, we often spend more time telling God what we need than we do praising God for what he's already done. Right? I, I think that a lot of times our, our prayers look more like a wish list than they do a praise report. And, and when we go to God in prayer, we need to praise him and we need to honor him and we need to thank him. And, and I mean, how different would our lives look if we just woke up each morning and thank God for the blessings in our life? God, thank you for this roof over my head. God, thank you for my family. God, thank you for my job. God, thank you for, for saving me and, and what could have been a nasty traffic accident last week. God, just God, thank you, right? What if, how different would our life look if we woke up with gratitude rather than thinking about all the things we don't yet have, right? And I think it's important that we need to remember the blessings of God. Um, and I believe it was Teresa that, that, that does a prayer journal, but she also writes in there that her praises, like the answered prayers, and how wonderful would it be if we had that, that memory that we could go back to and, and look and reflect on all the times that God has been faithful and all the times that God has answered prayers. You see, we're going to be in chapter 14 today, and we're going to see two individuals who very much have forgotten the blessings of God. They've very much forgotten the power of God. And we see this through their actions and the way that they lead their individual kingdoms. So we're going to go and jump in today in 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 1. And before we dive in, I just want to kind of catch everyone up what's happening. We're in uh, the book of Kings, which literally is following the nation of Israel. But the nation of Israel has taken a historical turn at this very moment. Uh, back in chapter 12, rather, we've seen that the nation of Israel was actually split into two. We have, uh, remember, King David. He had a son named Solomon. And then he had a son uh, that came along, uh, came along named Rehoboam. Now, Rehoboam came and he was a horrendous king. And so the nation of Israel actually split. So this is where the Bible gets a little confusing because we got Rehoboam leading these guys. And then we got Jeroboam over here leading these guys, right? So if you need, like, we got Ray and Jerry, if you just need to really separate it, right? Rehoboam, Jeroboam. We have Rehoboam, who is the, the son of Solomon, so he is in the lineage of David, but he only has two tribes with him. He has the tribes of Judah and the tribes of Benjamin that are following him. Now, on the other side, we have Jerry, right? We got Jeroboam over here, and he's got the other ten tribes of Israel that are following him. So we have a nation that is literally divided at this moment. This is historic, and we're going to see that as we study through Kings. A lot of the chapters are going to be separated. Okay, this part's about Rehoboam, this part's about Jeroboam. Um, and we'll just try to do our best to, to make sure we catch the differences in names. And also in the first three verses, we're going to see two other names that are nearly identical. Uh, and so we'll, we'll try to remember which one is which. So verse 1 says, At that time, Abijah, that's one of the names, the son of Jeroboam fell sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise and disguise yourself, that it not be known that you are the wife of Jeroboam. Go to Shiloh, behold, Ahijah, so we have Abijah, who is his son, and we have Ahijah, who is the prophet. Uh, Ahijah, the prophet, is there, who said of me that I should be king over this people. Take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him, and he will tell you what shall happen to the child. All right, so I've titled today's message, Idols in Disguise. Idols in Disguise. 
And so we see immediately what happens is Jeroboam's son is sick. And so what he, te- what he says is, uh, wife, disguise yourself. And we'll talk about that in a second, but disguise yourself and go to Ahijah, the prophet. Now, Ahijah is the one who gave the prophecy to Jeroboam to begin with that he would be king over the ten, uh, the ten nations. He actually showed him in a weird way, like uh, Jeroboam had just got a new cloak. And Ahijah came and he takes the cloak off of him and he rips it up into 12 pieces and he gives 10 of them to Jeroboam. I don't know about you, but I would not be super happy with this prophet. Like, bro, that is my new, that's my new, that's my new shirt. That's messed up, dude. Uh, we could have did like we had like leaves here, man. We could have tore those up, right? But uh, he's the prophet, and so what? What uh, Jeroboam does is he says, "Hey, take our son, go and see the prophet Ahijah, and see." Now, what's interesting here is that he goes to the prophet Ahijah. Why is this interesting? Because we've seen in back in chapter twelve that Jeroboam pretty much formed his own religion. Jeroboam, when he separated from Rehoboam, when he separated and he took the ten tribes away, what he did is he took them away from Jerusalem. We know Jerusalem is where the temple is. Jerusalem is where the the religious festivals happen. Jerusalem is where sacrifices are made. And so Jeroboam, when he moves, he decides to start up his own things. He builds his own temples, and he puts golden calves in them, and he, he kicks the Levites out who were the priests, and he brings in his own priests. And so what Jerry does is he, he starts building for himself his own religion, but he makes it look like Judaism. It makes it look like their old religion. We're going to get into it in a moment how that's a problem as well. But what I find interesting is, is why is it did he go to Ahijah? He had his own prophets. He had his own priests. He had his own temple. He had his own God. You see, I believe what happened is when the rubber meets the road and things get serious, he recognized that his religion was shallow. His temples were nothing more than empty buildings. And whenever he truly needed something done, he needed the God of glory and not some fake, false, made-up God. Right? I think we see this a lot in, in our culture today. In fact, I will tell you, if you get into doing any sort of evangelism, and truly every single Christian should, it's the, literally the last thing Jesus told us before he ascended to heaven. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like it's, it is the call on every Christian. But I have found that most of the time when I have a Christian conversation with someone, I don't immediately get a convert. I don't immediately get someone hit their knees and profess God is, uh, that, that God is, or Jesus is Lord. Almost never. You know what I find? That as I'm with somebody and I hang out with them and I build a relationship with them and I'm not shying away from my faith that every given opportunity I'm talking about church and I'm talking about God and I'm talking about what Jesus has done in my life and I'm talking about how God has saved me from a carbon monoxide leak. Literally had that conversation with an atheist yesterday, right? What I'm doing is I'm just saying I'm not ashamed of my faith and I'm telling you how good God is and how mighty he is and what he's done in my life. And you know what I find? Is that those dudes are like, yeah, dude, that's just not for me. That's not my thing. You read the Bible. I'm not really in the Bible. But guess what? As soon as the rubber meets the road, and as soon as their life gets tough, who do they text? They text me, man, I'm not really that type. Can you say a prayer for me? Yeah, absolutely, bro. What can I pray for you about? That's when, that's when I get people, is when they hit their, their lowest moment, and they realize that the, the idols they had in this world, when they realize that the alcohol's not cutting it and the women's not cutting it, and, and they're realizing that all the things that they lean to for their comfort and for their peace, when they realize that falls short, then they're open to hearing about God. And so our evangelism really just needs to be looking like living like Jesus. Because when you live like Jesus, people will contact you when they need him, right? And so that's what we see with Jeroboam here. 
things got hard, things got difficult, and he needed God. Now, what should be noted, though, what should be noted is desiring something from God is not the same as repentance to God, right? Jeroboam went to the prophet, and so we may think, oh, Jeroboam's turned his life around. No, no, no. No, no, he wants a genie. He, he, he wants a genie. And, and we're going to encounter people who want a genie. And when they want a genie, they're going to go to your God because they hear how good your God is. That's not enough. Even if God answers the prayer, that's not salvation. Salvation comes through making Jesus Lord of your life. Believing that he died for you and he rose from the dead. That, that's what salvation, that's, that's where the saving grace of God comes from. Is in, in our action, it's not just wanting something from God. It's not just wanting something from him. It's actually following him and believing in him. And so during your evangelism that you're doing, when they contact you and they want your prayer, don't just end with prayer. Make sure you tell them how to be saved. Because even if God answers their prayer, if God he miraculously heals their cancer, but they never turn to Jesus, they'll still die and go to hell. Right? See, desiring something from God is not the same as repentance to him. It's not the same as following him. And so Jeroboam here, he wanted something, he desired something, he needed something from God, but he didn't repent and turn to God. Now the disguise, I'm going to kind of go through this because I spent a little too long on it. <laughs> the disguise, I think it's interesting. There's either two reasons he disguised himself. One, he didn't want, or reason he disguised his wife, he didn't want the people that went to his temple to see him going to another prophet. Or he knew that he wasn't following God and he knew that Ahijah knew that. And he knew that Ahijah wouldn't bless him if he knew who he was. And you see, this goes into another point. That God knows the difference in being loved and being used. God is good, he is mighty, he is loving, he is just, and he is certainly not stupid. God knows the difference in being loved and being used. And Jeroboam very much wanted to go use the blessing of God without submitting to the lordship of God. And there are a lot of people in modern-day Christianity that want Jesus as Savior but not as Lord. And it doesn't work like that. They come in tandem. It says that, I declare with my mouth that Christ is Lord, Master, the one that I submit to, the one that I honor, the one that I glorify. When Jesus walked up to his disciples and he said, follow me, he didn't say, believe in me. He didn't say, make me your Savior. He said, follow me and imitate me. When a, when a disciple would follow a rabbi, he would walk in perfect step with the rabbi so that he would become an imitator of the rabbi. He would become a carbon copy, control C, control P, copy and paste Jesus. That's what it looks like to follow him, is to become a copy of Jesus. That you imitate him, that you interact with the world like him, that when people see you and they interact with you, they just know something's different. All right, let's see if we can get past verse 3. Verse 4, Jeroboam's wife did so. Also, I apologize. I had this ready last week, and then we canceled, and I kept studying. So if we go a little long, I just got a little bit to say, all right? She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. Now, Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were dim because of his age. Ahijah was blind. The disguise was very unnecessary, Right? He couldn't see, his eyes were dim. Verse 5, and the Lord said to Ahijah, behold, the wife of Jeroboam. Oh, you hate it when God outs you. <laughs> Whew. 
the wife of Jeroboam is coming to inquire of you concerning her son, for he is sick, thus and thus shall you say to her. You see, Ahijah was blind, but he wasn't deaf. Ahijah couldn't see, but he could hear. More importantly, he could hear from God. And that is the most important sense any one of us can have is the ability to hear from God. And we think, you know, God doesn't speak audibly to me. No, no, no. He speaks textually to us. <laughs> he speaks to us right here. He gave us 66 books filled with his word, filled with his Holy Spirit, filled with his knowledge. And that if we would open it up, we would hear from God. And if we would open it up, we could have an interaction with God and allow God to speak wisdom into our life. You see, Ahijah, he could hear from God. And so when she came, she pretended to be another woman. But when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet as she came in the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another? For I am charged with unbearable news. Why do you pretend to be another? As soon as she, she doesn't even get to, she didn't even get to show off her disguise and practice her story. She walks up and he says, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Now, this is the, the news that Ahijah has for Jeroboam. It says, verse 7, Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Make sure he knows, knows who, who the Lord is, the God of Israel. Because I exalted you from among the people and made you leader over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. And yet you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing only what, uh, sorry, doing only that which was right in my eyes. But you have done evil above all who were before you, and have gone and made for yourself other gods and metal images, provoking me to anger, and have cast me behind your back. Now, those are some intense words. Those are some pretty intense words. Now, the phrase there, cast me behind your back, literally means you forgot about me. You, you put me behind you. You took me out of your focus. You, you no longer care about me. You forgot who I am. But the strongest, as I read this, what jumped out to me is, is God literally says here that you have done evil above all who were before you. Now, we have studied through the kings. We studied through the judges. Like, we, we have studied through the nation of Israel up to this point, and there have been some messed up dudes, right? Like, I mean, like, look at Saul. Not too long ago, you know, two generations ago, look at Saul. Saul was so crooked and messed up that when David started to come at the ranks, Saul tried to kill David, who was like a kid. And, and Jeroboam's more evil than Saul. And David wasn't perfect. David committed adultery. David committed murder. David turned away. Like, David made some mistakes, too. And Solomon? Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines, all the treasures built idols all over the place, and Jeroboam is more evil? In fact, this is actually going to be a running thing. We're going to see Israel charged with the sin of Jeroboam throughout Scripture. And I got to thinking about that, like what made Jeroboam different? And I truly think that it's a sin called apostasy, the sin of false teaching. Because what we see in chapter 12, what Jeroboam does is he masks his idols. He, he disguised his idols to look like the people were serving the God of Israel. 
You see, what he did is when he took the people out, he built temples in Bethel and in Dan, and he built a, a counterfeit holy of holies. And on the counterfeit holy of holies, rather than having two angels, he put two golden calves. And he had these temples that they would go sacrifice to. And, and instead of having the priests from Levi, like God commanded, he kicked the Levites out. And he said, anyone who wants to be a priest can be a priest. And then he had the festivals that were nearly identical to the festivals in Jerusalem. He just had them on different days. And so what he did is he basically convinced his nation they were following God, when in reality, they were following a God that he called Yahweh. They were following a false God. And the reason this is important is because there's a lot of people in America doing that today. You can get on any social media platform and you will find someone cherry-picking verses out of the Bible to fit their agenda. And listen, I don't care what you name your false god. If it's not the Jesus of the Bible, you will not be saved. You can name your idol Jesus and you can make it look like Christianity, but if it's not the God of the pages of the Bible, you will not be saved. You can name your false god anything. And there are 60-second preachers on TikTok right now preaching absolute nonsense that's not in the word of God. And they're convincing people that people are safe and they are saved when in reality they are worshiping an idol that will not save them. The only cure for you and I is to open up the word of God. And I say that because studies say that over 78% of Christians do not open their Bible throughout the week. And so that means the majority of Christians, I'm not assuming you guys, I know we're all different here, right? This is a different kind of church. But I'm assuming the other Christians, all they know about God is what some dude on a stage tells them. But you can't always trust what some dude on a stage tells you. I'm telling you that as some dude on a stage. Open up the Bible, go home, read 1 Kings chapter 14 when you get home. Do your own study. Dive in, fall in love with the word of God. So that you will not be swayed by the lies of the enemy. You're the only way that we can avoid the false teaching, the apostasy that will lead us into hell is by knowing the word of God for ourselves. And over 80% of Christians are biblically illiterate. Uh, seriously, there's a, a staggering majority of Christians that, that don't know what the difference is a book and a chapter in the Bible. And I say that as a Christian that didn't know that when I first got saved. There's no shame in that. There is shame in staying that way, but there's no shame in that. Open up the Bible, fall in love with God for yourself, not what some dude on a stage is telling you, not what some 60-second TikTok preacher is saying. Open up the Word of God, read it in context, and see what God has to say to you. Because you can think that you are saved and be damning yourself to hell. That is the sad reality, and unfortunately, it's worse in the South than anywhere else. Because there's a lot of people in the South that believe that uh, being conservative makes them go straight to heaven. There's a lot of people in the South that have a grandpa who's a preacher and they think they're saved. No, no, no. Jesus said, you follow me. It doesn't matter what your family member did. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't even really matter what you believe. It matters if you're following Jesus. And we can also say it matters if you're imitating Jesus. That's what following means. We sometimes think following, like he in a car, we ride behind him, we're doing 30 with him, right? No, no, no. Imitating looking like him when people encounter us we should look different than the rest of the world that's what it means to follow jesus and if that truly happened we have a lot less atheists that could claim hypocrisy as their reason for not believing right all right let's keep going we were in this bible somewhere chapter 10 therefore behold i will bring harm upon the house of jeroboam this is again what ahijah is saying to the wife of jeroboam to return 
the message to Jeroboam that I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free in Israel, and will burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burns up dung until it is all gone. What a picture. Anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. Anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat, for the Lord has spoken it. This, by the way, would have been a great shame of a family that they did not have a proper burial, proper family that would take care of them. Uh, Verse 12, arise therefore, go to your house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. This is, listen to this. For he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something pleasing to the Lord, the God of Israel, in the house of Jeroboam. The only pleasing thing that God could find in the house of Jeroboam was the son, Abijah, who was sick and that God would remove. And we would say, wow, how unfair. When in reality, what we see is God showing grace and mercy. Now, on this side of heaven, we don't see it that way. But what I want to suggest for a moment is that when God does, when something tragic happens when something difficult happens and I know on this side of heaven it's hard to live with our our faith is not trusting that God exists our faith is trusting that God is good even in bad situations and we see here in this moment that that the child dies but God does that out of grace and mercy because because great trial and pain and desolation is going to come on the house of Jeroboam because the sins of Jeroboam. In fact, in the very next chapter, we're going to see that take place. We're going to see the judgment on the house of Jeroboam take place. We're going to see it right here, verse 14. Ahijah prophesies. He says, Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam today. And henceforth, the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water and root up Israel out of this good land that he gave to their fathers and scatter them beyond the Euphrates because they have made their ashram provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because the sins of Jeroboam which he sinned and made Israel. Israel to sin. You see, Jeroboam caused Israel to sin. We would think, wow, God, that is really harsh that you would bring this hurt and pain on a family, on Jeroboam. Why would you do that? Because God loves his people. And Jeroboam was leading his people into sin. Jeroboam was leading his people into unrighteousness. Jeroboam was leading his people away from God. And so God says, I love my people so much that I'm going to have to handle this. And so even in our difficult times, let us know that Romans 8, 28, like I uh, stated at the beginning, God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Not that all things are good. Don't mistake that. He says that he works all things together. So the good, the bad, the ugly, the painful, the tragic, he works them together for his good. And we see this take place in the very next chapter. We're going to see the son of of Jeroboam. He's going to come up and he's going to be king for just two years before he is assassinated. And and the house of Jeroboam is completely wiped out off the face of the map. And so maybe just let that be a reminder that God says what he means and he means what he says. A lot of of people play with scripture. (laughs) A lot of people play with the commands of God. And yes, God is grace-filled, and yes, God is loving, and God is just. But a lot of people, they'll use 
They'll use the worldly scenarios around them to justify their sin and ignore what God has to say in the matter. But God, he is loving, but he is also just. He is also just. And it doesn't matter how good a person we are, if we are not in Jesus, we will be judged by our righteousness. And the word of God says that our righteousness are like filthy rags before God. One day we'll, we'll breathe our last breath here, and we'll breathe our last breath, in, or we'll breathe our first breath in front of God. And he will look at us and he will judge us for what we have done or for what his son did. And if he looks at us and, looks, and judges us based on our good works, he will say, depart from me, you inert worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. But if he looks at us and we believe in Jesus, we are covered by the blood of Jesus, we follow Jesus, well done, my good and faithful servant. All right, so from here it would jump over and it's going to kind of start studying about Rehoboam. I'm going to save us a few verses here because Rehoboam's story is almost identical to Jeroboam. It, Rehoboam does the exact same things. Now, Rehoboam is of the lineage of David. He is the rightful king, the son of Solomon. And yet, he leads his people. He's in Jerusalem with the temple, but he leads his people into the same idolatry and into the same sin. In fact, maybe a little bit worse than Jeroboam. But he leads them further and further into sin. But what I want to look at here is verse 25. This just... Uh, this stu stuck out to me. Verse 25, it says, In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. Now that is important. Because if we remember when we were studying about Solomon, when we studied about Solomon, we seen the very first time that he, he strayed away from the commands of God, it was to marry the princess from Egypt. Right Now, he married the daughter of the king of Egypt because he wanted to create a political alliance. Now, what he did, he deviated from the word of God, and he deviated from the command of God. And I remember us thinking, like, you could almost justify it, right? Like, one little sin, like, we're just going to tiptoe over that line, just, just a hair, to save millions of people. And we're like, that's, that's justifiable, right? One little sin, one little discrepancy. Just, just, just one, one little sin to save millions of people. That's worth it. That human, that, that human work, that human solution, there's our word, that human solution did not last one generation. You see, that was, the, that was the stepping stone that led Solomon into all the sin of his life, right? The very first thing he did was marry the daughter of the king of Egypt. And next thing we know, he has 700 wives, 300 concubines, uh, temples to idols all over the place. And it started right here. And then we see less than one generation away from Solomon. It fails. Less than one generation away from Solomon, king, the king of Egypt turns on, not, not on Israel, not on the ten tribes. No, no, he turns on the two tribes in Jerusalem. You see, we often try to work things out ourselves, and we think that we have a better solution than God. And we think that our way is going to be better, and our way is going to be the better solution because I thought it up, and this is how everyone else is doing it, and, and this is the best way, and it's for the greater good. What's one little sin if it, if it gets my family this? And what's one little mistake? What's one little text? Like, what's one little dotted line if it brings my, my, my uh, family more financial gain, right? Like, what's one little sin? In the whole grand scheme of everything. But we find what happens is one little sin often leads to another little sin. 
and another little sin until those sins are so big and so consuming that your life doesn't look anywhere near like what it did. And we also find that sin is never the solution. A, a, a sinful solution, an ungodly solution will never last. Just like we see here, that treaty, it never lasts. The only solution that lasts is a godly solution. We'll often try to save ourselves by, by any number of things, whether it be politics or, or, or addiction or, or love or lust, right? We, we try to find these things that will, that will save us, that will prosper us, that will bring us joy just for the moment. These things that will help us in, in just a moment of time, but we find that they're always fleeting. That yes, okay, we, we got joy that time, and, and we enjoyed ourselves for the moment, but as soon as the moment's over, I'm miserable again. My depression is back, my anxiety is back, my loneliness and my anger is back. That didn't heal me, it didn't cure me, it didn't fix me. Why do I feel more messed up than I did before? You see, that's how addiction gets you. I don't know if you know that. So many people think that, that people are addicted or just completely immature. No, it's for a moment they feel better. For a moment. But as soon as that moment's over, they feel 10 times worse. And so they go back to the thing that made them feel better. But what happens is we lead ourselves into a, a solution that will never last, but will actually devastate our life. When in reality, the only lasting solution is Jesus Christ. The only lasting solution is a relationship with Jesus. It is fully submitting, declaring with my mouth in front of my peers, in front of my family, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are Lord and I am yours. I believe you laid down your life and you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. And we may ask the question, am I worthy enough for Jesus? Am I worthy enough? No. <laughs> but that's the beauty of grace. We're gonna, I'm going to wrap up right here. So we've seen Jeroboam. Jeroboam leads these 10 tribes. Remember, Jeroboam is not of the lineage of David. He's not the rightful king. He's not the deserving king. And what we see is that his people, they go and they create their own traditions and they create their own temple and they worship God here when the, the Jews say you should worship God here. And what happens is that Jeroboam's family gets destroyed and a few years later, the Assyrians come in and they wipe them out and they intermarry. And, and in Jesus' day, we see them referred to as dogs or Samaritans. This is the people of Jeroboam in Samaria and the Jewish people of Jesus' day would have nothing to do. When Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria, his disciples said, no, Lord, we can go a different way. We can walk a different way. But Jesus said, no, I have to go through Samaria. You see, Jesus went to the lowest of the low. Right? Jesus went to the Samaritan people. He went to the people that worshiped God in their own way, in their idolatrous way. He went to them. And not only did he go to the people who were seen as the lowest of the low, but he went to a woman who was seen as even lower than the rest of her people. He went to a woman who was drawing water from a well in the middle of the day because there would be no one else at the well. She was there to avoid everyone. She knew that everybody would go earlier in the day when it wasn't hot. And so she went during the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day, so that she could be there alone. She could draw water from the well without seeing judgmental eyes, without being around people that would condemn her, people that would hate her, people who would judge her. Because she'd had five husbands, and she was living with a man who was not her husband. And Jesus encountered her. And what's amazing is when Jesus encountered her, 
he treated her entirely different than most Christians would have treated her. When Jesus encountered her, he treated her with love and grace and mercy. Again, a woman from an idolatrous region, a, a woman who, who would not have been interacted with by any respectable Jewish person in Jerusalem. Yet Jesus, the God of all creation, the Messiah, the one who came from heaven, born in a manger, lived 33 years perfect. He walks up to her and he treats her with love and respect. He tells her, yes, all the things she has done. And he gives her hope. And so if you're here today, and you don't feel like you're worthy of the love of Jesus. You don't feel like you're worthy of the hope of God. If you feel like God really just wants more better people and respectable people, people that look like church people and people without tattoos and without problems, without scars, without brands, right? God just wants all the good people. Wait till you hear about the disciples. Jesus didn't go and he didn't call the people out of the temples. He didn't go call the people out of the synagogues. He went and pulled the sailors who swore like sailors. And he went and got the tax collectors who only cared about money. And he went and he, he, he loved to the prostitutes. Like he, he took care of the people. He went to the most, the roughest people around. And he showed them love and he showed them grace. And their life was never the same again. And, and if you're here today, and, and you're hurting, and you're suffering, I just want you to know that the God of all creation loves you. The God of all creation loves you. He has set you apart. He's chosen you to be here in this place at this very moment. I said in the beginning, I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe in luck. I believe if you're here, you're here to hear this message, that no matter where you're at, what you've done, what mistakes you've made, no matter how unbearable your life may feel, the God of all creation loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. And if you want that relationship and you want to be saved, his word simply says, if you declare with your mouth, he is Lord. You believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, then you will be saved. And so I'm going to end here. And I just want to give anyone here that opportunity. Maybe you've made that decision. Maybe you've not. But if that's you and you want to make the decision to, to follow Jesus today. I want you to raise up your hand on the count of three, and this is just a moment we're gonna declare what God is doing in our life. If that's you and you wanna make the decision to follow Jesus, raise your hand in one, two, three. Amen, 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 amen. If your hand was just up, we're about to pray together, and we're gonna speak these words. And when we speak these words, we're not praying to an empty room or a full room for that matter. We're not praying to the seat in front of us. We're praying to Jesus who promises he is here. He is in the midst and he hears your very words. So if that was you, if you raised up your hand, I just want you to repeat this prayer after me. You can do it audibly, you can do it silently. God hears you either way. Jesus, today I am yours. I turn from my sin and I follow you. I believe you are the son of God, you died for me, and you rose from the dead. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Help me to remember that every day. Jesus, I love you, and I trust you. Today, I'm
Amen. And if you prayed that prayer today, if you prayed that prayer maybe for the first time, maybe for the third time, I just want you to know that God heard it. And if you prayed that prayer, I believe today that you are saved. Today, your hope is not in this world. Today, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. And that's where our hope is. Let me pray for you just as a, a body of believers. And um, then we're going to worship and praise the name of God today. Our Father, we thank you so much for this day, Lord. We thank you for everything you do for us, everything you do through us, God. I just pray for your Holy Spirit to be with each and every person here, Father, that we would encounter you in a mighty, undeniable way, God. Help us to be, help us to be your light in a dark world, Father. Help us to go out and not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power that saves, Lord. I pray that you would be with each and every one of us, that we would go out and we would just shine your light to the world, Father. Help us to be a reflection of you today, Lord. God, we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.